Well, we have uh, high school and up gathered here in the auditorium for Sunday school class. And so uh, I'm just going to go ahead and turn things over to Brother Rogers. Uh, it's your time. You do whatever you want. I am looking forward to what God has for us here today. Uh, I've been a little bit down in the dumps here lately. And uh, this past Wednesday night felt like the Lord was just kind of bringing me up out of it just a little bit. And uh, here we are Sunday. I feel like the Lord's brought me up a little bit more out of it. And I just feel like that Brother Mark being with us today is very providential. And I'm looking forward to a time of refreshment and encouragement. Brother Roger, appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Well, it is certainly good to be with you this morning. Uh, we've been looking forward to it. Uh, I was just telling somebody in the hallway, it doesn't seem like it's been a whole year. Uh, maybe that's just because I'm old. And <laughs> I appreciate you not agreeing with that. That's just a blessing. And and the time seems to go by so quickly. And yet uh, it was just a year ago that we were here. And, and uh, for some reason, the last year has gone by so quickly. If they keep going by faster, I'm going to be 95 before I know it. And won't even be able to get out of the out of the car, let alone move out of the house. So uh, we we've been looking forward to it, and we are so glad to be here with you this morning. I want you to take your Bible today, and Lord willing, over the the course of the day. Of course, you folks who are in Sunday school, you'll be here in the in the morning service, and of course, you'll be here tonight. Uh, you know, it's those other folks who come later you have to worry about. But you guys, you're you're steady. Some of you are, and, and you'll be here in the morning service. You'll be here tonight. It'll all kind of be connected. And Lord willing, it will be helpful to you and something that you can use not only now, but on down the road as well. So I want you to take your Bible and open it up to the book of Philippians, if you would. Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter number 3. Now, over the last several months... Uh, I have been preaching out of the book of Philippians uh, quite a bit, and I'm sure my family would attest to that. But uh, today, I had considered starting in chapter 1, but but I don't want to start in chapter 1. And, and chapter 2 is a, a wonderful chapter. If you have extra time this afternoon, go home and read Philippians chapter 2, because it will encourage you. It will. It'll encourage you and it'll challenge you. And, and I just believe the Lord would have us to, to go to chapter three this morning because there are some things in here that I think are going to help you, not just now, but down the road as well. So here in Philippians chapter three, if you found that, would you stand with me while we read the word of God? Philippians chapter three, beginning in verse number one. It says, finally, my brethren, Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, 
concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful new day that you've given to us and for the opportunity to be in your house. Lord, I pray that during this Sunday school time, your Holy Spirit would be able to take your word and use it in our hearts and lives. God, give us open hearts and open minds this morning to hear from you. We'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, here in, in the book of Philippians, of course, this is a just a, a four-chapter little book. It's a letter. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. Now, you have to understand what's going on during all of this time. Paul is sitting in prison, and the emperor in Rome, Nero, is a wicked, wicked man, and he's, to be honest, he's a bit crazy. And through his wickedness and his craziness, he is destroying his own kingdom, and yet he needs somebody to blame, because that's what politicians do. They find someone to blame when things are not going well, and he chose to blame the Christians. You see, automatically, the Christians were at odds with the emperor because the emperor, Nero, had claimed that he was, in fact, a god. And he wanted to be worshipped as a god, and the Christians boldly declared there's only one god, and it most certainly is not the emperor. It is the god of heaven. And so automatically, they're at odds on that basis, and so they became the perfect object for his derision and his persecution. So this church in Philippi is under the Roman Empire. They're a persecuted church. The Apostle Paul, as he's writing the letter, is sitting in prison in Rome. So they've all got it bad. And yet when you read these four chapters in this little book, you don't find any whining. You don't find any complaining. All you find is encouragement about the goodness of the Lord. And what he's done and what he's going to do. And it's shocking, really, when you think about it. And and yet these little chapters are so encouraging. Now, you will hear me say, and I'll just admit right up front, that I will probably say, and Paul said this to the church at Philippi, and Paul wrote this. Please understand when I say that, I understand full well, this is not just a letter from Paul. This is God talking through the Apostle Paul, because quite honestly, what Paul says and thinks is no more important than what you say and think. It's not. Except that this happens to be inspired by God. And God gave Paul these words to write to this church at Philippi, and God then saw fit to preserve it so that it's not just to the church at Philippi, but it's to you as well. Isn't that exciting? Now, just imagine these people, they're getting a letter, and it's coming from Rome, and the Apostle Paul has written it under the inspiration of the Spirit of God while he's in prison, and the messenger, Epaphroditus, shows up. He's got this letter, and so they're all going to gather together, and they are going to hear from God. Can you imagine gathering together, ready to hear from God? That'd be exciting, wouldn't it? Yeah, (laughs) just think about that for a minute, amen? If you came to church that way, it would change your perspective. 
But can you imagine these folks? They didn't have a whole Bible like you have. And so when this letter is coming, they know they're not just getting a a prayer letter, if you will, from the Apostle Paul. They're about to hear stuff from God that they've never heard before. That's pretty exciting stuff. And so they gather together, I assume much like we've gathered together, and they're going to read this letter, and they're going to hear it, and when they hear it, remember now, it has their name at the top. So they can't say, well, this is to some people a long ways away, a long time ago. They know this is directly to them. And by the way, that's how we ought to look at it as well. Because it is directly to us as well. And so he starts out chapter 3 with the word, finally. Now, let me just say <laughs> that this is halfway through the book. He's Chapter 1 and chapter 2... First half of the book, chapter three and chapter four, second half of the, uh, of the letter. And right there in the middle, he says, finally. So you know that Paul was a Baptist preacher. Because he said, finally, and he still had half a sermon left. There it was. And, uh, he says it a few times in here. And you know how much that means when your pastor says, in closing, finally, you know that means nothing. Amen. Well, that's true here as well. So he starts right off and he says to these people, finally, my brethren, look at, look at the first admonition. Rejoice in the Lord. Now here are people, persecuted people who are taking their lives in their hands by showing up together in this gathering. And he says to them, rejoice in the Lord. Now listen, if your rejoicing is in the Lord, then the circumstances can't determine whether or not you rejoice. If your rejoicing is in the fact that everything went the way you wanted it to go today, then there are going to be some days you cannot rejoice. For some of us, there'd be a whole bunch of days. For some, there'd be a few. But there'd be days, if it was dependent upon the things that happen and the circumstances around you, there'd be a lot of no rejoicing days. But he doesn't say, rejoice in the fact that Nero hasn't gotten you yet. Rejoice in the fact that you haven't lost your homes and your families and your stuff yet. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And then if some awful tragedy happens, you know what you do then? You rejoice in the Lord. And if everything's going rough, you rejoice in the Lord. And if everything's going well, you don't rejoice because everything's going well. You rejoice in the Lord. And so he moves on from there and gives some warnings. What I want to preach to you, uh, well, excuse me, this is Sunday school. Not supposed to preach in Sunday school. You're supposed to teach. So I'm about to teach to you on this subject. Beware of danger. Beware of danger. Now, if it turns into loud, enthusiastic teaching, that's all it is, loud, enthusiastic teaching. Preaching will come later, okay? Who he says in verse 2. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. So he encourages them to rejoice, and then he jumps right into this this warning. In other words, be careful, because all around you, there are enemies that want to destroy you, and want to destroy your message, and want to destroy the gospel. There was a, a famous a quote that's attributed to a guy by the name of Wendell Phillips. He was a, an anti-slavery activist and, and he stated the problem 
from a political perspective, and here's what he said. You'll recognize the quote. Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Now, from a, from a political, social perspective, absolutely true. Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. You have to constantly guard your liberties or they will be taken away from you under the guise of helping you out. They'll all be gone. From the biblical perspective, you could say the same thing, not, not just about liberty, but about truth. You want to you wanna have truth? You want to hang on to truth? Then you've got to watch all the time. Eternal vigilance is the price of maintaining the truth. Because if you don't watch and stand for it and stand with it and stand on it all the time, it is slowly eroding away right out from under you and you don't even know it. You do understand that we as independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist Christians are, are a small group in, in what would be greater Christianity. I'm talking about people who are genuinely saved, but they don't believe like we believe. And what's happening today is that truth and the basis of truth is being eroded away all the time so that even a great number of saved people, I mean really genuinely saved, would look at us and say, you're nuts. Because they've rejected a lot of what the Word of God has to say. Now, they'll allow God to take care of their eternity. They just don't want Him invading their life. And messing up their, their habits and their, and their ideas and their hobbies. And they don't want Him involved in all of that. And so they reject those things from Scripture and just hang on to the fact that they're saved. Thank God they're saved. But if you don't hold on to what you know to be true and stand on it and hang on to it for dear life, it'll be eroded away. Because the world is eroding it. So-called Christianity is eroding it. It's all coming apart. And you have to stand and you have to watch. If we as Bible-believing Baptists have failed in some area, I fear that it's in the area of pragmatically excusing excess and error for the sake of a desired result. Well, we'll put up with this this bad theology or this bad idea or this this bad method because after all, look at how it turned out. And look at how many people came. And look at we got a whole bunch of people saved and well, thank God for everybody who gets saved, but that's no excuse for not doing it according to the word of God. By the way, the Apostle Paul talked about that in chapter 2, or chapter 1, excuse me. He said, I'll rejoice that the gospel is preached. Don't, don't ever think that that's an excuse for doing it wrong. It's not an excuse. He's just saying, I, I rejoice that somebody got to hear the gospel. Amen? But listen, we are bound by the Word of God to follow what God says, and the only way to do that is to stand on it and not to stop. Now, you don't have to be ugly. You don't have to be mean. But you do have to be on the alert all the time. All the time. Did you ever, did you ever hear some preacher on the TV or the radio or, or read some book that somebody recommended to you? And, and as you're listening or you're reading, it's like these little alarm bells are going off in your head. I mean, they didn't come out and say anything blatantly wrong. 
And there was nothing wicked and unscriptural that you read in that book, but something was just, something just didn't sit right. Just didn't feel right. You know what was happening? The Holy Spirit of God was saying, you better be careful. What he's saying right now might be true and it might be right, but what he's going to say in 10 minutes is going to be wrong. And you better be prepared for that and be ready to reject that. Don't accept the wrong just because of the good stuff he said over here. Don't ever do that. The Apostle Paul himself, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, said, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, if I cease to follow Christ, then don't follow me anymore. Only follow me as I follow Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19, it says, For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. I've always thought that was a strange verse. That there must be also heresies among you. But what's the purpose? To show who's standing on the truth. That's the whole purpose. God allows those things to to come and go just to show who's going to stick with the Word of God and who's not. Just make sure you're the one who sticks with the Word of God. Don't be, don't be drawn away and pulled into other things. You see, there are outward enemies. Look again at verse 2. He said, beware of dogs. Now, <coughs> how, how many of you are dog owners? Okay, now, don't take this personally. But everywhere in the Bible, dogs are mentioned. <laughs> it's not good. The, the, it, I'm sure it was a cultural thing. But dogs, in in Bible times, people didn't have dogs in their lap and in the house. And they, dogs were outside and they were, for all practical purposes, wild. They just ran around and they scavenged. And, and because of that, if you think of it more like coyotes, you know, do you guys have coyote issues around here? Seems like everybody does. Every, we, we got our, our houses up in Kentucky. We got coyotes sneaking through the backyard and, you know, they, they're just awful. And, and they're always lurking around. And everything's fine. And we had a whole bunch of cats in the next door that, you know, they had kittens under the barn and cats all over the yard. Well, we don't have those anymore. You know why? <laughs> we got coyotes. That's why. And they just, when you put the two together, the coyote wins. That's the way it works. And they're always out. You don't see them. You don't see them all the time. They're, but they're out there and they're watching and they're waiting and they're circling and they're looking for something they can run in and grab and destroy. He said, there's going to be people like that at your church. There's going to be dogs who are just circling around looking for an opportunity to jump in and do some damage. And they don't, their, their nature is not going to change. That's just who they are. Dogs do what dogs do because they're dogs. That's the way it is. Have you ever seen your dog? I know a lot of you are dog owners. Listen, we would be as well if we weren't on the road all the time. Our children want nothing more than to have a dog, but we travel all the time, and it's just you just can't do it. So any place we go that there's a dog, they go play with the dog and pet the dog, and, and then we get to leave the dog, and that's wonderful. That works very well. But your dog, big or small, whatever kind it is, have you ever seen that dog run out in the yard, and he gobbles up a bunch of grass. And you know what he's going to do next. He gobbles up a bunch of grass. He says, whoa, that looks yummy. And then he spits it all back out. And then he looks around and says, wow, 
That looks even better than the first time. Yes, your cute little dog that licks your face. That's what he does. And then, and he gobbles that up and, and you catch him, but he wants it. He wants it bad. Why, why does a dog do that? Well, there's a good reason. He's a dog. That's what dogs do. We, we have this satellite radio thing in the car. And, uh, when we first got it, we were trying to figure out, you know, what we could listen to. And most of it on there is you can't really listen to, but there's some, there's some old time radio shows that are neat and there's a news channel that's handy and, and there's a, there's a couple things that are good. And, and, and we came across the, the animal channel. There's an animal channel. And we listened to it nearly a whole day as we were driving once going across the country and, and this, they had a pet psychic on there. I'm serious. She was a pet psychic. You guys, my wife, she heard the whole thing and she would say to the caller, the caller would call up and say, but my cat is not acting right. And she would say, put the phone down near the cat. And she put the phone down near the cat and the pet psychic would communicate with the cat. And then she would say, here's what your cat wants you to know. And tell her a bunch of stuff. I thought, what, what a great scam that is. Amen. I, that woman's making stuff up out of thin air and people are probably buying her books and subscribing to her stuff. She's probably a wealthy woman by now. And then they had just a pet answer guy. And people would call in and say, here's what my animal is doing. How do I, what should I do? And he would give them good answer. He'd say, that, here's how you handle that. Here's what you do. Do it this way. And very, very good stuff. And this woman called in. She said, I have two labs. And I put them out in the backyard, the fenced-in backyard. And they run around and they do their business out there that they need to do. And she said, then if I don't catch them right away... Now, hang on, I, I hang on. She said, they'll go back and sometimes they'll, they'll eat that. She said, uh, do they have some kind of nutritional deficiency? Is there some special food I should get them? Or is there something they need in their diet that will stop this from happening? She was quite distraught. And the, and the pet answer guy said, ma'am, I will tell you exactly what's going on. He said, here's why they do it. They're dogs. And there was silence on the line. And she said, no, you don't understand. She told the whole story again. She said, now, they've got to have a nutritional deficiency. And he said, ma'am, I'm going to tell you why they do it. He said, they're dogs. And are you ready for this? (laughs) Here's, Here's what the man said. Professional man. He said, they all do that. Little Fifi licking your face. <laughs> yes, Fifi too. Uh-huh. He said it's not a nutritional deficiency. He said there's, they said there's nothing wrong with your dogs. He said for your own peace of mind, you can catch them before they do it, but, but they're dogs. He said, well, that's just, that's just awful. It's horrible. It's disgusting. Well, yeah, that is. That's awful. That's horrible. That's disgusting. And that's the kind of people he's talking about here. People who will do wicked, awful things and seemingly have no problem with it. It's just their nature. That's who they are. And they're, they're around every church. They're circling all the time. Sometimes they're members and sometimes they're outside, but they're just circling all the time. 
and they're waiting to find something that they can come in and they can attack just because that's who they are. He said, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of evil workers. There are evil workers who want to destroy the work of God. In Titus chapter 1 verse 16, it says, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and dishonest, and unto every good work reprobate. Their whole purpose is to do damage to the work of God. There are those out there. There are. And they will pose as legitimate Christians and churches, and yet the end result is that they only do damage to the cause of Christ. There's a group in in Kansas, Kansas City area, Topeka, or somewhere over in there. The one you know who they are. They're the ones that that protest the military funerals and and say and do awful things, and and all the all the, all the while. They profess to be a Baptist church. Why can't they be Methodists? Or Lutherans or Mormons or something? Why, why do they have to be a Baptist church? I'll tell you why. Because the enemy wants to destroy those who preach the truth. And percentage-wise, you're going to find more Baptist churches preaching the truth than anybody else. And so if he can destroy the reputation of Baptist churches, he's done a great accomplishment. And so those folks claim to be a Baptist church, and instead of preaching the gospel and telling people how to find Christ, they stand up and condemn people to hell and, and tell awful things and lies, and, and they're just as wicked and vile as they can be. What are they? Evil workers. Proclaiming to know the Savior, and yet destroying the very work of God. There's a, there's a lunatic in a strip mall in Phoenix who sends out videos all over the country and preaches blasphemy and heresy, absolute heresy, replacement theology, which is blasphemous and evil. And and now they're, they're planting satellite churches all over the country. And they start by coming into churches like yours. They'll send a family into a church like yours, and they'll drag half of your people out and start a church down the street preaching the blasphemy and the heresy that the lunatic in Arizona preaches. And all the while claiming to be independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, King James-believing Christians, and they're deceivers. They're liars. They're evil workers destroying the work of God all around the country. And let me just be honest. In both of those cases, I don't think they're even saved. The leaders of either of those two movements, they are lost people, lost people, just trying to cause trouble to the work of God. It's a shame and an embarrassment. But look, he said that's going to be there. That's not something new. God said to the church at Philippi, there will be the dogs and they're going to be circling all around. There will be the evil workers who, who, who exist solely for the purpose of destroying the work of Christ. And then he says, look at this, beware of the concision. Well now, the dogs and the evil workers, they're, they're outside and they're doing damage to what's going on. But the concision was making inroads inside. 
And people were coming and saying to these folks in Philippi, they were saying, yes, you need to believe in Jesus Christ, but then you must keep the law. And if you don't keep the law, then you're not really saved. By the way, there are whole denominational groups that teach that today. There are cults that teach that. That's what Seventh-day Adventism is all about. It's a law-keeping cult. You must keep the law or you don't get saved. You must do this, you must do that, or you're not genuinely a child of God. He said there are those who are going to want to put you under bondage to the law and religious tradition, and you'd better watch out. You'd better be careful because they will always be there. In Galatians chapter 5, it tells us that if you're justified by the law, then you grace is of no use to you. Listen, if you could be saved by keeping the law, Jesus didn't have to die. But he did have to die. Because you can't keep the law. You see, there was this group from the inside, and they were, they were coming against those who were preaching the truth, and they were spreading error, and they were spreading false doctrine, and you have to watch all the time. All the time. Be careful. Be careful of those who, who spread a, a big tent and, and, and throw every group under the sun in there and tell you that those people are Christians just like you're a Christian. It's not true. If you believe you've got to be baptized to be saved, then you're not a Christian like the Bible teaches. If you believe that you've got to be a member of your particular church in order to go to heaven, then you don't understand the gospel. Simply not true. You see, if you believe that somebody doing a little hocus pocus over you before you die will take care of your sins and get you into the gate of heaven, then you don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to throw those people all together and say, well, we all love God, we're all Christians. That's just a lie. It's a lie. He said, beware of the concision those with their religious tradition who want to bring it in and make it part of their salvation. You understand that baptism is not only a good thing, God says you ought to do it. But it doesn't save you. And it doesn't keep you saved. And it doesn't make you more saved than the other guy. Doesn't do it. Your faith and trust in the blood of Jesus Christ saves you and keeps you saved. That's it. Being a, a member of the church, that's a good thing. You ought to do it, but it doesn't save you and it doesn't keep you saved. All the good things you might do are just nice things you do after you're saved out of obedience to God. They do not save you and they do not equal Christianity. You must trust Jesus Christ as your Savior plus nothing and minus nothing. And you can't add tradition and all the rest to it. I spoke to a man Last year, I was in November, so it was after we were here, we went out to California. And he wanted to talk to me, and his wife's saved, and kids are in church and everything. And this guy is, he's, he's not saved, but he's a member of, uh, of a traditional church. He's a member of the Catholic Church. And he wanted to talk to me after the service. I said, I'd be glad to talk to you. He didn't really want to talk to me. He just wanted to convince me why he was okay and was going to make it to heaven. 
and and he would say something, and I I would answer his question, and and he would I, I would give him some scripture, and he would say, well, the church teaches, and I'd say, sir, if, if what you believe is based on what the church teaches, it's going to change, and if you look at your own history, it's changed multiple times over the centuries. What they've taught has changed left and right, back and forth, up and down, just depending on who's in charge and what is most expedient. You know what doesn't change? The Word of God. So, but our, our tradition and our church says, listen, then we have nothing to talk about. We have no common ground. If your, if your basis for what you believe is your tradition and not the Word of God, we're going nowhere. Because I have to go with this. Whatever this says. And if that contradicts your tradition and your church teaching, well then I have to reject your tradition and your church teaching. Because the Word of God is where the answer is. It's always the answer. He said there's going to be dogs and, and there's going to be evil workers and then there's going to be the concision who are going to come and try to put you under bondage and, and make you follow the law and tell you you have to do all these things to be saved. And then, look at, well, verse 3 explains it. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And then you get down to verse 4. Look at verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. Now he's going to tell you about the most dangerous enemy. You see, there's the outward enemy and there's the, there's the dogs and the evil workers and the concision trying to bring in heresy and error. But then there's this last one and it is without a doubt the most dangerous because it's an inward enemy and it's the one that we all have. You saw it this morning when you looked in the mirror. The flesh. There it is. He said there's all these things out there wanting to destroy the truth. And then there's something in here that wants to erode the truth and destroy the authority of the Word of God. And it's your flesh. And if you put confidence in the flesh, you make the Word of God of no effect. He said, if anybody could have confidence in the flesh, it would be me. He says, circumcised the eighth day of stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. You see, there's the spiritual, or excuse me, the, the fleshly pedigree. And he says, uh, we're the ones who don't put confidence in the flesh. But if I was going to do it, here's the list of my accomplishments. Now, understand, he's not bragging. He's saying if, if anybody was going to have a reason to point out their accomplishments and put their confidence in it, he's saying, I could do that. Look at, look at my history and look at where I came from and look at who I am and look at what I've done and I could stand back <coughs> and everybody in Israel would say, that's the kind of man we ought to be. Everybody in Israel would say, that's the kind of man I want my little boy to grow up to be. That's exactly what we ought to be. And they'd all pat him on the back and tell him how wonderful he was. 
and how good he was and how spiritual he was. He said, that's my, that's my list of accomplishments right there in the flesh. And then in verse 7 changes it all. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He said, all those things. Circumcised the eighth day, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee persecuting the church, blameless before the law. He said, I count all of that as loss. Because now I've found something far better than all that. I'm not putting my confidence in that. I'm putting my confidence in one place, and that is in Jesus Christ. Now, if somebody with that kind of pedigree has to put their confidence in Jesus Christ, then we all ought to do that, should we not? Oh, but I've been in church all my life and I got baptized when I was six years old and I, I played the organ and I was an usher and I... On and on and on and on and on. Wonderful, that's nice. And that'll get you patted on the back. But it'll take you straight to hell unless you're trusting in Jesus Christ. How do you guard against heresy and blasphemy and false doctrine and and the flesh? Verse 7. It's verse 7. Look at it again. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. How do you guard against error? You focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you... How do you guard against false teaching and false doctrine? Listen, if you, if you have the misfortune of getting on the internet and looking for some kind of spiritual thing or looking up some Bible question, I promise half of the search results that pop up are going to be false teachers. They are. Be very, very careful what you choose to read and what you choose to, uh, choose to believe. Make sure it lines up with this book. How do you guard against it? Focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't focus on some special teacher you found on the internet or some guy who wrote a book. You focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he said. How do you guard against the dogs that want to come in and and attack the work of God? Focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you guard against your own flesh that wants to rise up and cause problems and, and disrupt the work of God? There's only one way. Get your eyes off of yourself and onto the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you do that. He says, rejoice. I want you to rejoice, even though you're in a rough place and things are hard. But while you're rejoicing, watch out. Because there's trouble all around that wants to destroy the work of God. And you carry it in yourself. Your own, if you're not careful. Listen, most churches don't split because of some false teacher on the outside. Most churches split because somebody's flesh on the inside got carried away and it blew apart the work of God. Notice he only dedicated just a few words to the dogs and the evil workers and the concision and he dedicated a whole bunch to the flesh and how we need to get over the flesh. It's our most dangerous enemy. Beware of danger. Focus on the Savior. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we could be here this morning. Lord, thank you for these uh, words of 
warning that you gave to the church at Philippi. And if it was important for the church at Philippi, it's important for the church right here in Statesville. God, I pray that we'd take it to heart this morning and we would get our eyes off of the world and what it's doing and our own flesh and what we think we've accomplished and focus on you and being right in your sight and following you with a pure heart. We ask you to bless in the service to come and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we can kind of summarize that God says that we're supposed to be happy, but we're not supposed to be oblivious. We're supposed to be cautious, but we're not supposed to have a spirit of fear and uh, not worry about what uh, we don't know. Uh, I've uh, read about places, you know, people being in the outback in Australia, people being up in Alaska and being hunted by wolves or dingoes and wild animals. And there's a common denominator. One of the most important things that they would do at night is to keep the fire hot. And one of the best ways that we can protect ourselves from the dogs, from the wolves that are out there, is to keep the fire, the Holy Spirit, burning hot right here in our midst. And that happens not only in our church services, and that's not just from the pulpit, that is in our daily lives as we walk with the Lord, read the Scriptures, and maintain our personal and private devotion with Him. Thank you for that encouraging message, Brother Rogers. We'll take a break before the morning service.